Another chapter is here. Welcome to Don't Burn the Sacred Text. I am one of your hosts, Brandon, and I'm here with my co-host. She's the only Force user that is immune to the leveler. It's Lindsay. Wouldn't that be something? I mean, who knows? Maybe Phase 3, we're going to get that. Yeah, and maybe that Jedi will actually be named Lindsay, too. Wouldn't that be something? Oh, man. I... I Literally, I would just cut this clip and just send it out to everybody. Like, I am a prophet. Come join my cult, my cult of personality. Uh, I mean, we've basically gotten an instruction manual on how to run a cult and then run a cult into the ground from the mother. So I think we're set. Which is ironic because I actually did just this week watch the Netflix docuseries, <laughs> How to Become a Cult Leader. And <laughs> I was like, huh, this all looks familiar. See, I mean, you could tell we're going to get into it, but you could tell they definitely did their research on this one. So, guys, if you haven't uh, figured out so far on this episode, we are going to be talking about the last major installment in phase two of the High Republic, which is Path of Vengeance by Kevin Scott. And there is a ton to cover in this monster of a book. So, Lindsay, I know we haven't talked in a while, but if it's okay with you, like, I think we should just jump right into our rankings because we've got a lot to cover. I feel like we have to. Okay. So for those of you who who haven't listened before, we rank these books before discussing them, and then at the end we give our updated rankings to see if we have been swayed in one direction or another uh, by this conversation. And Lindsay and I do not talk about these books very much beforehand uh, other than maybe some general impressions. So, Lindsay, I'm going to send it to you. What is your ranking of this? Because I have no idea. All right, so given that it's been a little time, I'm going to go with my kind of initial ranking of it, and I'm, I'm going to even be a little generous. I would do three out of five, but being able to be swayed otherwise, and I'll get into why in a bit, but for now, I'm going to keep it at three out of five. Three out of five is your generous score? Yeah, and, and look... Having had time to sit with it, it has increased, of course. But my initial kind of thought was three out of five. And and I'll tell you why, but I want to hear your score first. Okay, well, mine's a solid four out of five. Uh, for me, like, I, I this book gave me context to figure out what they were doing with phase two of the High Republic. Because something that I kind of struggled with is, okay, we're getting all these, like, tidbits of stories here we're getting different angles on full spoilers guys by the way we should mention that uh from this point forward on like the battle of dalna like there was a lot of of like different angles of that and i was kind of wondering okay what are they actually trying to achieve with these books and i figured out that the the adult novels are really looking at the side of the jedi and the republic whereas these ya novels are about marta and the path and I kind of like that distinction. It kind of um, made me enjoy this book more because I knew what it was trying to achieve, and, and it wasn't trying to 
answer every single question we had left about the end of, of phase two of the High Republic, but it was really giving us, uh, for all intents and purposes, as far as we know, the end of the stories of Marta and and the mother. And for me, I just, I, I really enjoyed the way that it was set up. Uh, I enjoyed the character journeys that they went on. There are some things I think that should have been bigger that kind of fell flat because they hadn't been built up across the the four books that we got but we can get more into that later so why why are you not as as hot on this book as i am so it was something where the initial kind of diving into it i think my my big problem was i was ready to go on to something else at that point and having you know so many different angles of the, of the same events and seeing it from all different people's point of view is something that in theory really does excite me, but I think I enjoy it more when I've had time to sit and digest and I kind of want it a little more and I miss it. But by the time I got to this, it was kind of just like, you know what? I get it. This is a really, really cool story. I just want to leave this at that really cool story and go do something else for a little bit and get ready for phase three. And I would, it's, it's so weird and it's really difficult to be able to describe with, with words because I feel like I need to draw a picture. Um, but I just remember when I was a camp counselor and they taught us every single summer, they would draw a big bell curve on this board and they would talk about, you know, when you teach these kids a new game, they're going to be so excited. And the first time a kid plays dodgeball, they're going to want to play dodgeball every single day. But if you wait until it gets that peak excitement and then a little bit over to end the game, they're not going to want to play dodgeball anymore. If you end the game right before it gets to that peak excitement, that's when they're going to want to play all the time. And you can actually get people to do things that you want because you know what? Playing dodgeball is going to be the reward. And I feel like at this point, we're kind of just over that bell curve of excitement about phase two and the mother and the path and all of that. And I was just ready to go on to something else and maybe revisit it afterwards. I guess that's understandable. I mean, two thirds of this book is stuff that we've already kind of visited. You know, we have it's so it's broken into the three parts. You've got the battle of Jeddah and then part two is the battle for the path. And then part three is the battle of Dalna. And, Two-thirds of those we have already seen from a different angle. So we kind of, we know the con- like conclusion. Like it's not anything that is uh, new to us. We're just, again, like seeing it from a new angle. I think for me, this works so well because, I mean, the mother is somebody that I was really intrigued by and I wanted to see, like... I knew that we were going to get her downfall in in this, and I was very satisfied by the way that that happened. And I really had missed visiting Marta because, I mean, we've gotten two books in between the last time we really spent time with Marta Rowe. Like, we get snippets of her in Battle of Jeddah, the audio drama. We get snippets of her in... Uh, con- uh, which one's the second one? Convergence or Cataclysm? I, <laughs> I remember we we kept messing it up too when we initially did them convergence right i think no convergence is the first one cataclysm is the second one 
Yeah, I'm, I can yep. picture it now. Right. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the those two books, you know, those are back to back stories that we, you know, are covering the same uh, characters and everything. Whereas it's been since the beginning of the phase that we spent time, real time, with Marta, and so to see the the impact of what happened in the first book on her i was it was something that i was very very fascinated by and i really loved and this is something that i you know want to start off talking about i love kind of the setup of uh marta seeing these visions of kevmo and yana seeing the visions of core uh both of you know who were lost in uh the first book and so what were your thoughts on on that aspect of things that I really did like. It took me a little bit to realize what it was and what was going on. I'll be honest, I, for a quick second, kind of like second guess myself and my memory. <laughs> and I was like, oh, are, are they still here? Or maybe is this at a different point in the story than I thought it was? And, and we're starting off a little bit earlier. But once I kind of realized what exactly was happening... I thought that was a really cool concept because it wasn't also, or maybe it was, but I didn't take it as like a, a force ghost type thing, right? I took oh, it no, really not at as all. A, yeah, and I, and I thought that was a really cool concept to play with. You know, is this something that's happening to her and only her? Or is this something that's happening through the force and if it is through the force is it because of you know the jedi philosophy or the paths philosophy so it was i thought i thought once i again realized what was going on it was a cool concept and something fun to play around with that we hadn't really seen before the only time we've really seen anything like that is with uh asajj ventress in dooku jedi lost where she's kind of haunted mm. by her former master so i think i was kind of thinking that way of I don't think it's all the force. I don't think it's all in their head. I think it's kind of a mix of the two um, interacting with each other because Kevmo and Korra are two characters that were doing essentially the same things um, for Marta and Yana in Path of Deceit because they were pulling them away from these beliefs they had in the path, uh, you know, the more zealous belief for, for Marta, but the more... Um, Yano, it, it was more of like a, a understanding of the devil, you know, you know, kind of aspect where she wanted to leave, but she kept finding reasons to stay. And so when you think about the, you know, the loss of those two characters and how it would impact characters like Marta and Yana, it really sent them going in opposite directions, even though the same thing was happening. They're both seeing uh, visions of a person, you know, their former lover and Kevmo becomes the devil on Marta's shoulder, whereas Kor becomes the angel on Yana's shoulder, pushing her out of her comfort zone and, and into a new reality for her and a new future. And I just appreciated the way that those stories were paralleled for these two characters who are, you know, connected with each other. They're cousins. They are obviously, you know, Rose, which leads us right to Martian Rowe. And so for me, that aspect was probably the best part of the book, if I'm being honest. Yeah. And I want to make one comment and then ask you a question. 
but it's it's just another really nice way of showing and and i think marta and yana are meant to do this is a bit of a nature versus nurture type thing and lean Mm. more into that nature just because every single thing they've been through together and they should in theory respond the same way because they have all the same triggers and because they have been through every single major and really traumatic event but yana just sees things so differently from marta and i think that this is just that really clear way of showing that there's something very much innate in the two of them that is really coming out to play here um but my question for you is because you did mention really correctly too that the only other time we've seen this is in Dooku Jedi Lost. Common sim- common uh, thread here is Kevin Scott. So do you think that these kind of visions and conversations is going to play a part in Star Wars more so moving forward? Or is this strictly just a Kevin Scott writing device? Oh, um... I think that's an answer we're not going to have for 20 years. Um, So it's really hard to say. I think right now it's just a Kevin Scott thing because it is something that he created. So it's kind of like his, his baby, if you will. Um, Not exactly the same way that like Ahsoka is Dave's, you know, thing. And if you do anything with Ahsoka, you've got to talk to Dave, but in terms of like, this is a storytelling tool that he understands, you know, really well because he created it. And so he knows kind of, he's, he's worked out how it, it functions uh, within his stories. But I do, I do think it's a possibility more and more, uh, more and more likely to see something like this because we have gotten different versions of the force, uh, and a, and a character maintaining consciousness after life. You know, we had all the Jedi speaking in the end of Rise of Skywalker, uh, and we've got these, both of which are... And, and we have Han showing up in Rise of Skywalker. So, like, Rise of Skywalker does very similar things. So, I think this is yeah. more the product of, like, the different creators being brought in and also kind of the... Um, not misunderstanding, lack of understanding for how force goes to work. So you've got to find workarounds to get people to to face their their past in really creative ways. You know, I think that's kind of what started yeah. it for Kevin Scott is you've got to have Asajj in Dooku Jedi Lost being able to have conversations with somebody because it's an audio format. Uh, and in the same way, you know, for for J.J. Abrams, you need Ray to take up the mantle of being all of the Jedi, but you can't have, uh, you know, 20 force ghosts behind her because you've established one of the few rules of force ghosts is that like, it's not a whole bunch of people. It's just the, the four or five or whatever it is. Um, but maybe this is something that we could take over and talk to Zach on a Sith talk I- because I think we are setting it up where this is something we could potentially see being used more as a device because think about what's coming, right? The Acolyte, would be the perfect mm. place to use this. It's even um, been kind of theorized and mentioned that we might even start to get some Night Sisters in Ahsoka. 
And even so, if we don't, there's always, you know, oh, Sabine's holding a lightsaber. Is she force sensitive? Do I think she is? No, no, stop it. But but (laughs) does this now open up the door for something like that and for those conversations, you know? And, And maybe Sabine can even know Ezra's still alive because... She's not having these these visions and conversations with him just yet, where maybe she could with someone like Kanan, you know? So yeah. there's there's all these different possibilities now going forward with them potentially using this, which is, I think, I don't think we're going to have to wait 20 years to know if it's a Star Wars thing or a Kevin Scott thing. I think we're going to know in the next three to four years. Okay. I mean, we will, we'll, we'll track it and have to see. The other parallel I wanted to talk about that they kind of set up in the first uh, section of the book in the Battle of Jeddah uh, part one section is the mother and martyr, which, I mean, we've kind of known, like, the relationship between these two is going to be the driving factor for, for what happens for the Path of the Open Hand. But in the same way that, like, with Marta and Yana, they used the same device to kind of show you, hey, we're paralleling these two characters, pay attention I think they did that with uh, the mother and Marta and, and the way that they kept the lightsabers. Marta kept Kevmo's lightsaber and the mother kept uh, Kevmo's master's lightsaber. And I love this quote. On It's on page 50. It says, Another example of how the mother and Marta, the prophet and her guide, were becoming increasingly alike. And it it starts off with them becoming increasingly alike and then it kind of splits off there when marta actually like they almost trade places to the extreme like marta i feel like in path of deceit kind of played the victim card a little bit of like oh why won't they let me become a child like why am i not good enough uh you know woe is me kind of attitude and she goes and takes a sharp turn into you know becoming a zealot and the mother kind of starts off as like this power hungry zealot that then kind of diverts off into uh basically begging to be a part of of the organization that she essentially ran um and you know created i know she didn't technically create the path of the open hand but this version of it so how did you feel about the the setup um and really the execution of the parallel between uh, the mother and and Marta throughout this book, and and was it a satisfying conclusion for their journeys for for phase two? Yeah, I mean it was, and I think it goes back to a conversation you and I seem to have pretty often, which is how do you define a cult, and and what does that evolve to once power shifts? And I think not even just so much for Marta and who she is, but just for the aspect of look at this what. This this is what this entire organization became. And what I realized is with phase two, more so than phase one, I was more invested in the organizations and the power dynamics. Whereas phase one, I think, was not much more driven, but a little bit more driven by characters, right? Like the Nile is amazing, but I think... Uh, Martian Ro was just a little bit more interesting to me as a person and as a character. Whereas this, seeing, you know, the path of the open hand and, and all these different variations and, and what it splits off to and who holds power and when and how they 
give and take it. That's the more interesting story to me than Marta individually, or even the mother individually. Um, but I think it was done really well to your, to your earlier point. I just wish it was done earlier. I think we spent a ton of time rehashing things that didn't necessarily have to be rehashed. Mm, interesting. Um, but I, I do think one thing that I really find fault in, in Marta is how many opportunities she had to see what was wrong. And she just never did. And not in a way that makes her like an interesting villain or anything, but almost in a way that makes me feel like she's stupid and close minded and, and just so tunnel visioned on this one thing that she wants. I think that's the point though. Like, I don't know if I would go as far as to call her stupid naive, I think would be more accurate. Like she's not seasoned by uh, really life, you know, cause she's been so sheltered, but I think the point is to see her, you know, go off the rails because of her lack of understanding of how things really work, you know, like she, when, when you're faced with trauma, like your, your choices are to adapt or just kind of double down on what's already happening. And I feel like Yana, you know, chose the former of trying to figure out a new way of living. And Marta chose the latter of just like, let's buckle down and, this is not working because I'm not doing it well enough or hardcore enough. That's, I mean, for me, that's the the big difference there that makes, you know, I, I think that's the point of Marta is her being that kind of character. You know, going back to even talking about her and Yana and the, the it's not so much that the, it's a juxtaposition, um, but almost being foils of each other in that sense. I think maybe that's where some of my frustration comes with her is because you have that really clear idea of who and what she could be. And she just turns her back on it all the time. And I think maybe that's my frustration, but it could also be made to argue that that frustration is a good thing. And it shows that, great writing and that great character that you're able to get frustrated with them as opposed to just kind of skimming along to the next page. Yeah. There's an investment in the character. Like if, if that's happening in my opinion, um, cause I, I kind of felt that way with, you know, with the mother of like, God, I just, I want you to get your comeuppance, you know, like she wasn't my favorite character, but you knew because she's not around, you know, and not really talked about, during phase one, I was like, there's no way she's, you know, making it out of here. Uh, and of course she doesn't. So I wanted to see her, her get to her. And even though I had serious problems with, uh, I, I just, I think my biggest problem, actually my only real problem with the mother is I don't feel like we got enough time with her and with Marta. I think, you know, this is a shorter phase but I think it would have been better served if we had three adult novels and three uh, young adult novels to to really spend more time with these characters. Do you think that would have made a difference in how you feel about this book if we had spent more time with these characters and got to see more of their... Like, if we had a slower devolving for Marta, would that have made her work better for you? 
I think it would have. Absolutely, I do. And it doesn't even necessarily have to have been that exact breakdown of, you know, YA versus adult. But yes, I think a little bit more time with her specifically would have done a world of good. Um, Even because one of the things that irked me was then the entire romance line with her and her and Bach was just so quick and so forced and yeah. it didn't feel real. And when you have storylines like that, that's meant to add so much volume and, and so much depth to this character, it in my mind really detracts because it's just taking away from what the real relationship should be and what the real point should be. And that would be her and the mother. Yeah. I, I mean, he was kind of a, he was a plot device, really. You know, he was kind of there just so that Marta had somebody to bounce off of in terms of her grief with Kevmo, but also, you know, the things that happened on Planet X and her um, kind of shaming herself for feeling the way that she feels and for letting herself be deceived by Planet X and stuff like that. Like, he just really is a sounding board more than a character. And I would have liked, like, I would have liked a lot more time to just see both Marta and the mother kind of devolve. Because, you know, in here with the mother, you know, she's having these seizures that she claims is a vision of the Force. And I think it would have been a lot better if we just had, like, an entire book where she's had, you know, this middle chapter where she's having all of these seizures and force visions or claiming to have force visions and we don't really know what is going on instead here we got like I the setup and the payoff all in one thing i love that too and i'm so happy you brought it up because one of my favorite things was i noticed with the whole seizures and force vision thing she was not the one to have initially said oh, no, this isn't something bad. This is, you know, the force communicating to me. That was the followers that did that. And that in and of itself is something I really, really wish was explored a bit more. Was she inspired such devotion that they jumped to the conclusion, no, nothing bad could ever happen to her. This is a good thing. This is, this is amazing. Look how powerful she is. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Do you think that there were force envisions, force visions involved in these seizures at all? Because I kind of feel like the book itself doesn't give a definite answer. I got the impression that no, it was not. It was just straight up seizures. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. And, you know, we get that the level is is slowly destroying her, but we don't really see that. And And I think if we mix those two things together where more and more people start to notice how gaunt she's becoming uh and then she starts to have the seizures and then maybe she's you know something else starts happening she speaks in tongues or something i don't know what it would be but just more of a slow burn because something that stood out to me in this book was how much they called her by her name by you know calling her alicia instead of the mother and in path of deceit it was pretty much only the mother i think we had one maybe two at most references to her actual name. And then all of a sudden here, it's like they kind of alternated back and forth pretty freely, which was a little jolting for me because 
I took it as, you know, the mother is her title and she's so respected that that's all they refer to her as. That's the impression I got in Path of Deceit. And then they kind of humanize, they humanize her and normalize her by using her name, but it just seems very sudden in that aspect. I think we needed a middle one to let things, you know, things don't need to immediately go off the rails. Like, let the rails get shaky a little bit at first. You know, let us sit with these questions for, like, these books came out pretty quickly within each other. So, like, we're talking, let us sit with it for a few weeks or a few months, you know? Like, why are we, I don't understand why we were rushing this instead of letting it go an extra couple months in order to uh, really give us that investment that I think we had in phase one, where, you know, Elzar, for example, like the stuff happens with Elzar, he has his visions, and then you have an entire book of him really struggling with his, you know, how he is as a Jedi and and, um, where the visions play a role. You get this slow burn of frustration and and him kind of uh, acting out, and then you get the payoff of him finding himself and redefining what he means to be a Jedi in Fallen Star and, and, and everything there. It just... It felt very rushed having these characters that are, you know, kind of exclusively YA and then you exclusively in the adult novels, more or less. And we just rushed through their evolution when these are really compelling, interesting characters and interesting situations. Yeah. And, you know, it goes goes back to my initial point, too. You know, I love the Battle of Jedha. I think it's time or would have been time in this phase to have moved on from that and, and kept seeing a little bit different material. You know, it was really cool at first to see these different points of view of it and these, these ricochets from it. But after a while, it's like, let's just distance ourselves from that. I think this could have been really well served by jumping into going to find more of the leveler eggs, you know, if if we had just jumped right into that and really grasped onto it, you would have, I think covered a lot of these bases, right? It would have given us more time to see Marta and the mother and, and how that relationship is starting to progress for better or worse. And the aftermath there, as well as the physical effects of what's happening with the mother and give Yana some, some more room to do stuff other than just kind of grieve and, and oh, what was me? You know, I, I can't believe this is happening to my family and look at this person. Instead, yeah. we're just sent, spend so much time rehashing everything. It could have also yeah. even, when, when we look at the box storyline, it could have helped let that breathe a little bit more and actually do something more meaningful there. I agree. Like we essentially three books are centered around the battle of Jedi. You have the battle of Jedi, you know, audio drama, you have the beginning of cataclysm, like the first third of cataclysm and the first third of, of path of vengeance are all, all around the battle of Jedi's and, and none of them actually like the, the, two proper books don't actually like tell you about how the battle of Jedha started. You have to already have that background knowledge from the audio drama. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like, 
why are we spending like we get it we get that it's important you made it an audio drama like you you this is one of essentially five of the major releases you know the there's the you know middle grade readers but i don't consider those major releases because they're kind of side stories but why are we spending you know so much time going over this when we've already you know talked about it but you mentioned going to get the leveler eggs and and of course they had to go to planet x to to figure that out first of all i hope to god planet x is not the name that we keep for this planet forever that will drive me insane I know, I know. I was complaining too to someone else because I was getting real hyped up and I was like, it has to be Exegol. I'm also getting a little tired of the whole, like, this planet's so hard to find. Yeah. That between Solo, Rise of Skywalker, that's also starting to, to get a little overdone. Very much so. Very much so. Did you, when you were reading about Planet X, did you think about the uh, the planet Obi-Wan goes to in Padawan at all? I did. Okay. I did. I'm so happy you said that. Like, I'm just like, these seem very, very similar. Uh, you know, like in Padawan, it's obviously like a metaphor for the Force, and I don't think that this planet necessarily is a, a metaphor for the Force, but they're definitely both, you know, Force planets. And I... I like the way that this got started. You know, I like uh, Sunshine, uh, you know, as a plot device. Like, he's not a great character, uh, but you kind of just know he's there to, uh, you know, do the mother's bidding. And I liked how it kind of started with Marta going and um, forcing herself into this mission you know, and by by manipulating his love of the mother and how that kind of backfired because she threw off the equilibrium of the team. And I, and I was asking myself a lot when they were going through the veil and Kalar was, uh, you know, talking into everyone's mind. She was saying, they will come for us, the nameless horror, the Shri Kara, they will come for us, the storm shall rise and the stars fall. All of all because you cross the veil, all because of you, the force will die, the force will be no more. And we're getting that quote through Marta's head. And I'm like, is she the reason that this is happening? Like, if Marta didn't go on this journey with them, would they have this much of a pushback from the planet? Or is it because it's a conduit of the force, it knows that she's not supposed to be there, that that's not part of the uh, main timeline or whatever you want to call it, if you will. Um, like, it's not what's supposed to happen. Did you get any of that vibe at all? You, not when I was reading it, but now that you said it, I could absolutely see where you're coming from. And I hope you're right, because I think that's a really cool concept for essentially what the force is capable of, especially in thinking about the comparisons between Padawan and, and this. So it's not that I originally got that or, or came to that on my own, but I really, really like that thought and where, where your head's at with it. Well, it just seems to me like, you know, the, the planet in Padawan had more or less a will. Like, I don't think it had a conscious will, but it was trying to seek balance and it was doing whatever it could to seek that balance. And so, 
I wonder if, you know, the balance was kind of thrown off. You know, that is what the Rose are doing at this time. You know, Marta is leading into what we're going to get with Martian, and Martian is all about bringing the Jedi down, which are Avatar for the Force. And so I was just really fascinated by that. The Force will die. The Force will be no more uh, kind of idea that was presented through Marta's journey there when she was kind of the the outcast and, and hadn't really... Like, Marta does not in any way consider the ramifications of what she's doing. She just asks if it's fits within her views, you know? And, and if it fits in within her views, then it's the right thing to do. When you can have something that fits in your views and is still the wrong things to do, and you can have things that don't fit in your views that are the right thing to do. Like, there's she's too boxed in in her mentality and i don't think that that's something the force wants to encourage you know i i think the force wants characters like qui-gon and like uh, ahsoka and and like luke who who try to find deeper answers instead of just these selfish points of of what do i want and does it serve proving my point because that's essentially what Marta is about it doesn't even matter if she's right it just matters to her if you think she's right yeah wow wow what a good way for you to to, uh finish that thought because I was going to bring up with all of this that one of the things that makes Marta so interesting and so different I don't know if it's intentional or if it's just maybe she's not a strong enough character but She's one of very, very, very few characters in Star Wars that I can't think of many, if any, examples where we're really seeing her stand on her principle and act on it for better or worse. You know, there are dozens and dozens of examples of other villains or people in the gray area or even heroes who have their ideals and they have their principles and you may or may not agree with them, but you see them stick to it. You know, I think Phasma and, and Iden Versio are fantastic examples where you don't necessarily always agree with it, but they stick to their morals. The only way we really know that Marta has any principles at all or sticks to these convictions is really through Yana's point of view and how Yana can't believe, you know, Marta would do this and she would choose this and she would act for this. We don't really though see Marta in many cases sitting there saying, Oh, I'm going to do this because I really believe in my heart. It's the right thing to do. I think her motivations are a little bit less clear than usual. And, and I think, Again, if we had maybe cut some of the rehashing and and expanded on these or, like you said, maybe add some stories, we could give her the opportunity now as she's descending into darkness to really understand what her principles are and why and how she's going to act on it as opposed to just the mother says this is the right thing to do and I want this power. Well, it, for Marta, it's all about validation. Like, that's what she's seeking. Whereas those other characters that you mentioned, in my mind, immediately went to Luke Skywalker also, of, like, characters that have principles and and stand by them. All of those characters don't 
try to find validation from others. Like Phasma, even though like she is a terrible person, like she does things because she wants to, not because of, you know, the validation of others. Like she's not seeking their approval. Same with Aiden. Like she does what she believes to be right and what fits her principles. She obviously like learns that she's aiming them in the wrong direction, but she stands by them and, um, she doesn't do it to to get approval of her father or anybody like that. And kind of the same thing with Luke. Like, he walks into the Death Star. He's not looking for the validation of his father. He's there to help and support his father. And in a moment like Last Jedi, when he turns that lightsaber on and calls it a fleeting shadow, like, he his principles are so solid that he he's able to overcome those moments of weakness because he's not seeking the validation of others. He's seeking his ability to validate himself. And Marta doesn't have that ability to validate herself. And I think Yana kind of learns that through this book, through dealing with her grief with uh, Core. And for Marta, you know, like I said, they kind of go off in separate directions where, you know, you have an angel on Yana's shoulder and a devil on Marta's shoulder. Really, those are just manifestations of, of themselves that are, you know, taking a different form. And so Yana is, is learning how to, find approval from within and Marta just continually keeps trying to seek approval from others. And I think if we look long scale to, you know, Martian Rowe, like we see moments of Martian getting upset about his father and, uh, you know, X, Y, or Z that happened to him and playing kind of the victim like Marta does. And so it's almost like he's, he's trying to destroy the Jedi to prove that he is worthy instead of because he actually believes that the Jedi are evil or whatever it may be. Like I see a lot of parallels in the emotional journeys um, between Marta and, and Martian. Yeah. By the time we get to Martian though, there's really no evidence of, you know, anti Jedi or anti force. It's just something entirely of its own at that point. Well, it's really just, it's with him. Like, it's his thing. Like, the Nile or not. But I think with him, he has an adamant belief against the Jedi that comes from... I'm, I mean, I feel like this is kind of the, the Rose legacy, is passing down that hate of the Jedi. Because there's two to three generations, you know, de- depending on when everybody was born, in between Marta and Martian. So we don't have direct, you know connections but i feel like that hatred is something that is passed down kind of in the way you know we we see it in our modern societies like the same kind of hate gets passed down across families that's kind of what we have with martian and marta in my opinion yeah that's a good point i personally just really want to get like some kind of family tree and start to fill in some of these blanks. Mm, yeah. Cause you're right. That's, that's another thing that kept coming to my mind is like, I wish we had some definite idea of here's how many steps away we are from this to get that understanding of, all right, well, here's everything that could have happened in that time frame, and, and start to put some of this together. And I realize why we don't have that, but it's something I hope we do get in the near future. Yeah. I'm, I'm at a point right now with everything that they've set up that I am in a wait and see kind of mentality with phase three, 
because if this is going to be a situation like the sequel trilogy, for example, the sequel trilogy, you will understand better if you've watched the prequels. You'll understand Ben's journey better. You'll understand little references here or there. But really, you can watch the sequel trilogy with no knowledge of the original trilogy, or excuse me, the prequel trilogy, and you can get by. You can't watch the sequel trilogy and not have watched the original trilogy. You're going to be missing a ton of stuff. And so I hope it doesn't end up like that where phase two just kind of becomes this intermediary. Like these are is really cool background information for those of you that want to deep dive in even deeper to the history of this galaxy. But really, you only need to read phase one and phase three to get the complete story. I don't want that. I want phase three to bring phase one and two together and take it to a new place. I want to get more of the history of the Roe family, you know, maybe go back to Dalna and explore the path more. And maybe, maybe, you know, we see Martian Roe trying to reform the path in some way, like taking the Nile and evolving them kind of how Marta took the path of the open hand and changed it to the path of the closed fist. Like, could we see a similar, uh, thing happened with Martian and the Nile because we already see in phase one him kind of taking it from this band of, of pirates and marauders to a more militant organization. Could we see that next step in phase three? So if we get satisfying payoffs like that, I think all will be forgiven in terms of what we didn't get here uh, in phase two itself. But there's gotta be, there's gotta be some threads that are pulled together in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I've I've said it to you. I've said over on Sith Talk. My only thing is with Phase Three, I so desperately want to actually start to see some connections to not so much the Jedi that we know in the prequels, but I really, really want to see some kind of connection to the Sith and how they're still working in the shadows and something is going on there. And I want to start to see that paid off. But I mean, overall, we still don't. No, correct me if I'm wrong, but we still really don't know when Phase 3 is going to take place or what the main story is going to be there, do we? It starts a year after the fall of Starlight Beacon. We got that announced, I think, when we got the Edge of Darkness or Eye of Darkness title. But other than that, like we don't know how long it spans. We don't know what the story is going to be. I'm imagining it has to be something with with how to defeat the leveler because we got that moment at the end with Maddie where she seems to figure out how to battle against the the leveler and she has this line of, she says we need each other we can't beat it on our own and immediately my mind went to Avar Chris and how they dealt with Hetzel and the the great hyperspace disaster by connecting the minds of all the Jedi. And here, Maddie is connecting the minds of these Jedi, you know, having them work together in order to defeat the leveler. I think that's a, I think it was set up from the get with what we saw with Avar Chris. Drew is like losing his mind right now. With what we saw with Avar Chris in, the very beginning, in light of the Jedi, the very beginning of phase one, I think is going to come into play when we finally beat the leveler. Because the leveler, in my opinion, cannot be around by the time we get to the prequels. Like, we've got to we've got to kill it off, for sure. Um, 
Actually, hold on. I'm going to help you out here. If I'm not mistaken, Charles Soule and Kevin Scott have worked together before, haven't they? Uh, Like on a singular project? I think on a singular. I got to go through the comic book credit. Yeah, like, it would have to be I'm, comic books because I'm not familiar with it. I am almost positive they've worked together on something, and I'm going to go absolutely crazy if they haven't. But I'll do I'll do my digging and see what, yeah. <laughs> see what I can you'll have to with. you'll have to let us know afterwards. But yeah, I mean, you, may, you might very well be right. We know they were sitting in the room together. Like I think phase two, maybe there wasn't as much of them sitting in the room together type stuff because we kind of had a framework for the story. We were bringing mm. in new authors, COVID, all of those things. But we know the core four sat in a room. For days, maybe weeks, maybe months, and worked out this whole story. So Charles Soule and Kevin Scott definitely have worked, you know, together, whether it has been, you know, their name is on the same book or not. Uh, there is definitely a connection there. And and I it's to me, going back and rereading phase one, it became very clear that they are they had all the major stones in place um, from from the get-go. And one of those, I know we've got to kind of wrap up our conversation. We could go another hour on this book. One other thing I wanted to get your opinion on was the mother and that reveal of her being Olivia's sister and how they chose Olivia, the Jedi chose Olivia instead of choosing Alicia and, and how that sat with Alicia for years and led to where she is now. This was a major knock for me, not putting it higher than a four originally, because I felt like this payoff wasn't very solid. Did you feel the same Ooh. way when you kind of got oh the my reveal? God. I thought I was, I thought I was about to have to argue with you on this, but no, we're right on the same page. It's a, it, it just felt like a stupid forced reason or it was like, yeah. oh, we have to give her some kind of motivation. How about this? And and I will say this one thing, it was original. It hadn't been done before. That's that, true. That was, I think the highest praise I could give it. Other than that, I'm so happy you said, because when you, <laughs> you were just teeing that up, it was like, oh my God, did he like this? No, it was like we should have, if we had spent more time with Olivia, but she was just like introduced here as a side character at best. Like I wouldn't even call her a B character. I would call her a C character in this book. And the whole time we're like spending time with this, you know, kid who just feels she's very standoffish and can't connect with her. And then at the end, we're just supposed to care that she's, you know, connected with the mother. If we had a Jedi who had been around for, you know at least for Path of Deceit or maybe even longer or was in Convergence and Cataclysm. Like if you had said she was Gela's older sister or something like that and she saw Gela being taken away even though she was force sensitive too, cool, I'm in. But like, no, this just, this absolutely didn't pay off. So I think with that in mind, I am, I, I'm ready to, to give my, my new rating because my rating has changed. Ooh through this discussion okay. uh, because of how I feel through talking this out. I feel like the, while most of the solution or resolutions rather were satisfying other than what happened, you know, the reasoning behind the mother, 
Other than that, I was pretty satisfied with the conclusions we got for these characters and where we left off with the story. Uh, but it feeling so rushed and it, it feeling like they just wanted to get this out so they could move on kind of thing bumps this down. I'm not going to go into full three. I'm going to do a 3.5 because I do feel like it's still a very solid book. It's better than a mid-major, but it's not up there with uh, the fours and fives out of five. That's fair. And it's so bittersweet because I love when I'm able to persuade you to see things from my point of view. (laughs) (laughs) I love when I can convince you I'm right. Yeah, pretty much. But also then I feel so bad and I'm like, oh, but he liked it. And now he does it. (laughs) No, no, no. I still really, really like this book. And I, uh, again, like I, I think it is more an opportunity cost problem than it is the actual text itself. I think what, what Kevin Scott had to achieve, he achieved it as about as well as you could. I think they just asked him to achieve too much in too short of a span of time. Kevin Scott really and truly is is proving himself to be a phenomenal writer in all different ways. Um, so this is my, my poor rating is in no way a knock on him. I think you said it really well. It's It's a problem in the writer's room which is ironic because it's a book. So the writer's room is a little different, but, this, this but it a is a writer's room. Issue. It was a writer's room. It's a room. pre-production issue. Yeah. So what's your, your final rating on this one? Are you staying the I'm same? I'm going to keep my, I'm going to keep my three. Okay. All right. Well, we are, are really close to the start of phase three. We've got a couple of books in between that you and I are going to talk about. We've got Inquisitor Rise of the Red Blade. That will be our, our next discussion that we're going to have. Lindsay and I are not excited about that book at all. So you probably <laughs> don't want to even <laughs> hear Delilah our Dawson opinions on too? it. Yeah, I've never even heard of her before. Uh, then we'll have the, you know, the Return of the Jedi certain point of view, which is one that I'm lo- actually looking forward to even though I'm not a huge short story person. So you're going to get all of that covered here on Don't Burn the Sacred Text. And if you want more of our thoughts and opinions, you can go and subscribe to the network and get all of our shows on there. Mark and I are working on a really cool project together. Uh, Drew DeVore and I uh, have been working through Rebels, getting ready for Ahsoka on the main show. Lindsay and Zach are always bringing the hot takes over on Sith Talk. So it's a good time here. Uh, Lindsay, if they want to interact with you Outside of of just listening to you on the podcast, where can they do that? Best place to find me is actually, this is going to sound like a shameless plug, and I guess it is, but it's over on our Facebook group, um, Star Wars Clashing Sabers. Definitely head over there, tag me. I'd love to hear your thoughts on not just this book, but any other book. And of course, anything you might hear me talk about on Sith Talk. Yeah, and we've we've got some new members over there. So welcome to everybody who's just joined us. And I am I'm posting much more regularly on the group, trying to uh, get some conversations going, asking you guys questions. So if you just want some people to have good Star Wars conversations with, that is the place to be because we we really have a great group of people who are there that are open to listening to others' thoughts and opinions, and not necessarily even agreeing, but just agreeing, you know, to. Thank each other for a great conversation and continue being awesome Star Wars fans. If you want to go to some more scum and villainy type places, go over to Twitter slash whatever the heck it's going to be called next. Uh, Instagram and or threads. Uh, We are on all of those at Clashing Sabers. Uh, And of course, 
we we actually got to send out a lot of books. Speaking of Padawan, Padawan was in our most recent book box that we sp- sent out. Uh, so we got some great teachers who are going to be able to start their school years off because of our patrons and our donors uh, with some great new Star Wars books for their classroom. So make sure you go over to Patreon and check that out and get some awesome shows from Amanda who is putting out content like a crazy person. So it's a lot of fun over there as well. But until you do that, and until next time, keep reading, keep writing, but whatever you do, don't burn the sacred text. All Clashing Sabers productions are the intellectual property of the Clashing Sabers network and ClashingSabers.net. All licensed sounds and images are the property of their respective copyright holders and are used for informational and educational purposes only. For more information on our nonprofit or to nominate a teacher, go to ClashingSabers.net. For questions or inquiries, please email us at ClashingSabersNetwork at gmail.com. You're just going to walk away?